<clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. It's, I like that verse. It says, I rejoiced when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. Um, before we start this morning, uh, there's one more announcement we forgot to put in the bulletin. Um, there's going to be a, an annual COS chili cook-off and uh, pig roast. And that's going to be not next Saturday, but two weeks from yesterday, October 16th. And uh, the, there's no charge. Uh, you can bring a side dish, but uh, donations will be collected for, <clears throat> for the Nightlight Adoption Ministry. It used to be the Love Basket in Hillsboro. It's good work that, those, that they do there. So uh, it's to benefit that. So it'll be a good time. We're going to continue our sermon series. We're, we're coming to the end. We might have one more week next week. Um, we're coming to the end of our series about covenant with God. And uh, let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you. Everything we sang about you this morning is true. Your faithfulness towards us is great. And even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And you care about all people to every generation. Lord, open our hearts and our ears this morning to hear. And uh, we pray that you would speak your word to us. And let it change our lives. <clears throat> your kingdom come, your will be done. In our lives and on earth. Just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so this one's called Covenant Next Generation. And uh, how many of you are Star Trek fans? Any, any Star Trek fans here? Um, I'm kind of off and on. Uh, uh, certain times in my life, I've kind of gotten into watching Star Trek. And nowadays, on weeknights on Channel 24, you can watch, uh, it, they show five different episodes, all back to back to back to back to back. And uh, I don't watch them all, by the way. Uh, but once in a while, I'll watch one or the other. Um, and uh, the thing about the Star Trek franchise is that uh, they made the original one, like Captain Kirk, right, back in the 60s, and, uh, but they keep making them, and the next, so there's, there's Captain Picard in the next generation, and then there's Captain Janeway, and um, they're all, uh, you know, it's generation after generation, continuing and uh, through all of them we've got these courageous Starfleet officers who are boldly going where no man has gone before or no woman as the case may be and uh, each each generation faces new challenges new new enemies new uh, alliances new situations but they are all on a continuing mission to build justice in the galaxy as they represent the United Federation of Planets. And uh, uh, each generation builds on what the previous crew or the previous generation did before them. And, uh, you know, as we're winding down our sermon series on Covenant, um, we need to look at how important this concept of passing our covenant relationship with God. It's his covenant with us, but 
passing that, the faith, really, we could say, the faith um, from ourselves and our generation to the next generation. Because we're going to see Scripture says all kinds of things about that. God talks about, God is very much cares about future generations. And, you know, for us, a lot of times we're concerned with our own generation, maybe the one before us, maybe the one after, maybe two after. Uh, but God deeply cares about all generations. If we look at Exodus 20, verses 1 to 6, it's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So part of that seems a little bit unfair. Well, what God, why do you punish the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation? But it, that's, that's a different question to talk about. But I'll say this, sin has an effect on those around you and those who come after you. Sin is destructive. And, uh, and this disloyalty, the opposite of faith, one, one definition, the opposite of faith is disloyalty to God. I think that's why he says it here when he talks the first and second commandments there. Is, uh, but what he says after that, but he, he shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. How many generations have there been, by the way? Has there been a thousand yet? Not even close. Not even close. If, if we count generation being 20 years, uh, and you take 6,000 years about of human history and divide it by 20 years, how many generations is that? And 20 years is conservative because it could be 20 to 40 or 50 even. Just 300. Just, you know, so there have not even been close to 1,000 generations. Uh, so that's a good promise, right? He is, that means he is... He shows his love to all generations, and his covenant is with all generations. So, also in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Moses says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. That's uh, profound, right? But actually, uh, that's, the, that's the question for all of us. Do we believe he is God? He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He's talking about that covenant again. He's the faithful God. And a lot of times when we get into trouble is because when we doubt that he is going to be faithful to us. And we'll see that. Um, you know, we know it's important to be in covenant with the Lord. But how do we pass that covenant on to 
future generations, specifically to the next generations beyond us. Well, Psalm 78 uh, contains a long summary of Israel's history, and it's talking a lot about that, about passing along the covenant. Listen to how it begins. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. So he's going to tell us a story, a story of the the history of Israel. Sometimes we read that and we go, why did they have to tell that again? We can go back and read about it in in Genesis and Exodus and, and, and the books of Moses. But it says these are, these are, he talks, they're hidden things, but they're also things that our ancestors have told us. Verse 4, we will not hide them from our, their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. What is that? That's history, right? Um, we know today, right now in our culture, there's a battle over History, there has always been in every culture. Are we going to accurately report our history? Or is our history going to become hidden? And God here is talking about uh, God's people and his history with, their history with him, our history with him. And are the accurate accounts of that history going to be hidden? Are they going to become lost? Or are we going to continue to teach that history uh, so that all generations know it? Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. So this is an important thing God is saying. Not just I'm telling you, but you've got to pass this on to your children, to your grandchildren. Teach them what I've done. Teach them my commands. Verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That's not just a suggestion like this might happen. That's a promise. God is speaking it. Then they will believe and they will not rebel. They will keep his commands if you teach them. Verse 8. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God. Again, loyalty uh, is faith. Faith is loyalty to God whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, that's another name for Israel, especially it talks about the northern kingdom later on. Though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. We talked, Joy talked to us this morning about battling, right? Why, if you were armed with a bow, would you turn back? On the day of battle. Now, today, if you're just armed with a bow, you might turn back. But in those days, that was a good weapon, right? 
and uh, and uh, because they didn't they didn't believe um, because they doubted God would support them. They thought their circumstances were bigger than than he was. Verse eleven: They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. Remember that story? You remember when they, he led them to a place where they were trapped. They were trapped. There was a narrow, um, narrow road to get to where they were, and they were on the beach, and they were trapped between the Red Sea and... The uh, Egyptian army was following them on the narrow path between the hills that they had uh, gone through, and they had nowhere to go. And you remember what they said? Just one day, a few days into freedom from slavery, and they said, why did you lead us out into the desert to kill us? The, the, Israelite, the, the Jewish sarcasm came out right away. And... Uh, and cynicism. But they, you know what? They'd been slaves. They were used to being badly treated. And so they didn't really know God yet. They didn't trust him. And Moses told them, Be, stand still. God parted the sea. They walked across. It was really, if you look at it now, it's the only place they could have gotten across that, the bottom of the Red Sea. Uh, and he held held up the water like a wall, and they went through on dry land, and then he, uh, the Egyptians tried to chase them, and he brought the water back down and destroyed them, and they rejoiced and worshipped him. They saw his goodness, right? But they forgot. Why did they treat God like that? Because they didn't trust him. But now they had reason to trust him, right? But they forgot. And so in the future, they rebelled again. Why did they rebel again? Because they thought he'd brought them out into the desert to kill them. They didn't believe that he could come through again and again and again. He guided them by, with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made it flow down like rivers. He's faithful again. They complained and he was faithful. He met their needs. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? Like, we know the tricks he can do. He can save us from the Egyptians. He can give us water, but I don't know if he can give us food. Why would that be? If he, didn't, if he did one, he can do the other. 
How about in our lives? If he's helped you out once, he can help you out again. If he sent his only son to die for you, to take away your sins, how much more will he not graciously give us all good things? Amen? We can trust him. When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. And that's the key problem with our covenant with God. It's never on God's end, but the problem is our belief. Do we believe his promises? Do we believe his commandments? Do we believe that his commandments are right and best for us and true? The psalm goes on to relate the cycles of God's faithful provision. It's a cycle. You read it through the Old Testament history. God provides. Israel is faithless and rebels. God loves them enough to discipline them. And then God has mercy on them and saves them. And the cycle repeats again and again. From the time of Moses in the wilderness up to the time of David, that's where this psalm stops. Uh, the main point of the psalmist in this psalm, I think, is that we do what? We make known his deeds to the next generation, to future generations. Um, God wants them to know um, that he wants them to teach what God has done. He wants them to teach God's commandments, that we can't forget to pass those things on to our children. We can't just assume they're going to know it just like we know it. It has to be passed along. You know, it, it's, it seems today that we're in a similar kind of cycle of rebellion in our nation, or maybe in the Western church or parts of the church all over the world. Um, not everyone, of course, but in much of it. And we, we see the changes in our, in our nation, the United States, uh, but in, even in the church, we see the next generation rising up out of their seats and leaving the church. And uh, they, they're leaving the faith, or they're rejecting the instruction of the Bible, and they're saying, that's not for me. They say, why should we believe this? Who can prove that God is real and does miracles? They call things that are evil good and good things evil. Am I right? I mean, do we not see that? That's what's going on. And it hits close to home. I don't know about your family and your loved ones, but it's hitting very close to home in my family, my relatives. And... Um, it just seems that the church in many places has failed to pass on this covenant relationship, the faith, with, God, with our God to the next generation. What can we do? Well, two things that it's clear that we can do from what we just read is, number one, remind ourselves and our children of the wonderful things that God has done, the great things he's done. We need to testify. We need to tell them. We need to tell each other. We need to remind ourselves how God has been faithful and come through for us in the past. Amen? Amen. And the second thing is to teach them his commandments. And Psalm 145 talks about the same theme. 
uh, starting at verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So it's talking about as we worship the Lord and as we tell the next generation, two things we're telling. Again, his deeds, what he has done, the great things he has done. And the other thing is his character, who he is, how good he is, that he's, he's uh, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Now, if we talked... If, if we talk to the, the people who are rejecting Christianity today, maybe young people, and we ask them, what is God like? Or old people, older people. I think we would find a lot of people who are offended by God. They say, God, God is distant, or God is angry. God is, uh, God is not treating me justly. God has not been good to me. They actually believe that, which we know is wrong, but that's, that's what people are thinking. And even the people who say they don't believe in God, a lot of times you get to the root of where the rubber meets the road, and they, they, they'll come out and say, he let me down. And they don't, they don't believe the truth about his character and his goodness. Verse 10, All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. So again, the psalm is talking about how important it is to declare what God has done and how good he is and how awesome, how powerful, and how loving he is. Uh, to the next generation and to all those around us, um, especially the next generation. But it's also, do you see that it's stressing that we should do what? That we should praise and worship the Lord and that we should teach our children uh, to do the same. Uh, How do we do that? Well, I think one thing is uh, we need to model worshiping the Lord. Like, we need to set the example, not because we think that's the thing to do, but because we want to worship the Lord. If we worship the Lord in in spirit and in truth, our children will pick up on that. Or it's not, I'm not just talking about our own physical children today, right? But I'm also talking about people that see us, people that God leads us to disciple, people in our generation, the younger people in the next generation and beyond that they see that we do that, that that's important to us. 
Um, and uh, the other thing is, um, you know, my observation, and this is not true in every case, but a lot of times, children who love to worship God, you know, we, I teach in a school and we, we have chapels, and children who love to worship God grow up around parents and other people who worship God and regularly train their children to be in the habit of worshiping at home and in church. And they make that the regular thing that they do. That those are the children who are worshipers. Like they've been trained to do that. And it's not just for the sake of training, like this is knowledge, this is something, a rule you have to follow. But it's, this is what we do because this is who God is and, and we are in covenant with him and he is good and mighty and awesome and he is worthy of our worship and so we do that and, and as long as you're living with us, you'll do that too because you're part of us. And um, Psalm 48 addresses the same idea in the context of teaching the next generation starting at verse 9. Within your temple, O Lord, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. That's an interesting phrase. This God is our God. You know, it seems repetitive, doesn't it? Redundant, but there's a purpose for it. This God, he's our God. There are other gods. I mean, there are, there are no other real gods. There are other spiritual beings out there who receive worship. Um, but this God is our God forever and ever. We are, we are loyal to him because he is faithful to us. He will be our guide even to the end. It's an interesting psalm. Uh, it's about showing and telling your children about the glory and goodness of God as he dwells in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. So it's, it says, uh, it talks about Mount Zion, which is the, the temple in Jerusalem. And he's like, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts. It's like, describe, describe Jerusalem to, to your children. And uh, of course, at the time of the psalm, there was Jerusalem there. Uh, and that's where they went. There was a temple there that they worshiped. Um, but for us in the New Testament, what is God's temple in the New Jerusalem? It's us. Yeah, we are the temple. And, so, and not just us, a bunch of little temples, but, but it talks a lot about building us all together into one temple. So the church is his temple. And uh, in Re even in Revelation, there's a New Jerusalem. Of course, there will be a city, I think. But, but the New Jerusalem is also speaking about the church, the whole church throughout all generations uh, being God's temple and being beautiful and amazing. And God dwells with, within her. And um, so the, 
The temple is the church. And the question is, do we make our children, and again, I'm saying children, but also the people we're reaching out to, the people around us that we're telling about God, do we make them active participants in God's church? I mean, there is sometimes an attitude in some of Christianity that I've seen where it says the children, yeah, they're not really old enough to understand. Uh, we certainly can't baptize them. Uh, but they, uh, We'll let them wait and make a decision. Maybe by the time they're 12 years old, they'll be ready to be a real Christian. And that's a, that's a big mistake. Uh, and I mean to say... Um, to, to say that they can't have faith and they can't be an important functional part in the church. Now, here in our congregation, we don't do that. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, but I've seen it around. I've seen it in different places with very well-meaning Christians. But um, children, need, children are meant to be active participants. I think about my family and... Uh, our picture disappeared there, huh? Or I didn't put it in. Anyway, uh, sorry, blank slide there. But uh, I think about my family and how my parents uh, had our, my siblings and I participate in the life of our church. They sent us to our church's school. Uh, they brought us with them and included us in Bible study meetings, like, like we sat around and participated in that and sang the songs and, and stuff. Uh, they took us uh, to a place called COC Family Bible Camp every summer for our vacation. <laughs> Instead of Florida or California or Smoky Mountains or whatever, they brought us to Missouri, Hillsboro. Um, but that was, I'm very grateful for that. And one of the things that happened there is we got taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and all kinds of other stuff. And they, they got us involved in youth group meetings at our church, student groups in my high school like Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They encouraged us even when we went to college to get involved in InterVarsity and other uh, organizations like that. They supported us to go off on mission trips even though we had to raise money and they had to let us go to the other side of the world and worry about us, you know, but they supported us in all of that. Um, I think about our family, and I know sometimes it, it was very stressful, but in China, when our kids were little kids, uh, we, we just went to fellowship every week, and our fellowship, you had to get on the bus. Uh, it was an ordeal, and take an hour-long bus trip and that included walking pretty good distances with backpacks and little kids in tow. Uh, it was physically stressful for us and for the kids. And uh, meet at somebody's home, and then we'd, we would, <laughs> since we had to, we would eat lunch together and have potluck, so there's food involved, and we were carrying food. And we, uh, we all had to help with the service because it was a small group. And, um, but it, we would fellowship together. Then we'd have to walk back and get back on the bus and go through the traffic. And it was a lot of times like 4 o'clock before we'd get home. You know, and that was, that was a commitment. And I know some families are like, we got little kids, we just can't do that. But, um, but it, was, it was important. We, we did that for our kids. 
and uh, we would include them as much as possible, as far as bedtimes allowed, to be involved in like our open houses with our students. You see a picture up there. Uh, it, every week in the evening, like a, we called it English Corner, uh, but it was where we were trying to share the gospel with with student people. And uh, involve, they got involved every year in uh, our Christmas parties uh, with helping us act out the Christmas story for, our, for my students at our house. And uh, we like to sing songs together at dinner, at the dinner table, and uh, had regular devotions and prayers together. And uh, one of the songs, Debbie, was called All Through the Day. Well, that was our bedtime song. And then I guess we're going to sing it this morning. That's pretty, that was the Holy Spirit. But uh, we would sing that to the kids in, at bedtime uh, all together. And um, I don't know, this time, today, this morning, at, at the end of that song, Amy always said something. All through the day and night we're in his hand. And she would say, what's a hand? <laughs> so I don't know if she's going to do that this morning or not. Probably not. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you, Amy, but anyway. Um, but those things matter. Those are the ways we pass along our faith to the next generation. Um, and when we were together, we talked about the Lord and what we, he was doing. We told them about how God answered our prayers. They were involved in our life, so they knew what we were praying, and they knew when God answered, and they knew when God provided. And... Uh, we came back here, we homeschooled them, then we put them in COS because it was important, important way of teaching them the faith. And uh, we supported their involvement in the service club at school. Um, they, they helped and participated with us in the after-school home group that we have. Like, I don't know, next, a couple of years from now when faith has gone, what we're going to do with all those kids after school. Because our kids have, have not only participated, but they served, and uh, with the work, with the things we did as a family, um, we we encouraged them to be involved in Stephen and David and Ashley Kreuter's home group for young adults, and look what that led to. <laughs> and through it all, our our children experienced how God took care of our family and blessed us as we followed his calling to serve in his kingdom and in his church in particular. And I'm grateful. Uh, I see that in our church. I don't want to just talk about our family. I'm just talking about our own experience because that's what I know. But I see in our church other families, the, all the families in our church with children doing the same thing. Uh, I see children helping with ushering. I see children helping with the clicking or sound crew, and of course, then they're getting older and taking over some of those roles, and uh, and serving on the worship team. And uh, from the beginning, I've seen that COC's leadership, um, before me, before I was involved in it, uh, actively seeking to let young people be involved in an important role in the service and the things that we do here. And I think that's really important because our young people need to be part of, we need to bring them in part of the life of the church. Um, 
And the other thing is my parents taught me and my siblings God's ways and commandments, and they disciplined us when we did not obey God's commandments. And in that, they also accompanied us uh, they accompanied us when we failed to seek to repent to him, not just them, but to, it wasn't just behavior modification, but to know to go to God and repent. They helped us do that and to receive his forgiveness. That's a really important thing for parents to do. And not just parents, like if we're discipling somebody, we really need to do that with people is, is to show them how it works, show them who God, God is and that he is gracious and compassionate. He does forgive our sins, and we need to receive that. And uh, Kathy and I have tried to do the same with our children. Now, I'm not trying to boast here. My parents weren't perfect, and of course, Kathy and I aren't perfect either. Uh, and even if somebody did everything perfectly, you know what? It still wouldn't guarantee that the next gen- people in the next generation would choose to walk with God. So it's not like a... It's not just like a formula, because they're, they're, they're individuals, they're people, they have their own uh, choice. And, but um, I'm just thinking of the ways that God, that my family, my parents have gotten us involved in his believing family, which is his church. God's covenant does not begin new in each generation. Right? It's, it's one covenant. Uh, but each person must be introduced to and grow into God's existing covenant and embrace him by faith. It doesn't happen by accident. When we pass along the knowledge of God's righteous ways and faithfulness to the next generation, he himself meets them with the experience of it. So we are not alone in this task. Right? He says, this is your part. You need to tell them. You need to teach them. You need to train them. He is the one who will meet them, obviously, because he's real. And, uh, and so he will not disappoint. He is faithful. Uh, our children build upon the foundation that we lay for them. Kind of picture it like stories on a tall building, like the floors of a of a building. Our generation is one floor, uh, our children's generation is the next, and there's another one that'll build on top of that. And uh, I don't know how many more there are left, who knows. Uh, we might be near the top of the building, I don't know. But, but people are going to be building on what we build now. And if we build our story of the building small, or if we build with weak materials, then they're going to have to work harder to overcome the deficiencies of what we've laid out for them. It may take time for them to recover, maybe even to the third and fourth generation. But God is faithful and he is the redeemer. That's a good thing because he, he can take our failures and bring good out of them like we've already heard this morning. But how much better for us to set up the next generation for success and greater blessings. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 9-15, Paul says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, 
and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, the last day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So the quality of our work, you know, this, this applies to different things in making disciples and building God's kingdom, but it certainly applies to how we pass the faith on to the next generation. What kind of materials are we, how are we building? And we see examples of one, te- one generation uh, building the foundation for the next generation throughout the Bible. Uh, what are some examples? Well, how about David and Solomon? David set up Solomon to build the temple. God told him he couldn't build it because he was a man of war. And so uh, David said, okay, I can't do that, but I can help my son build it. First Chronicles 22, 2-6. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them he appointed stonecutters to prepare dress stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided, that was very appropriate, whatever that sound was. <laughs> he also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, uh, poor trees, no, anyway, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So do we, do we, have, that, do we have that response, feeling of responsibility for our, not just our children, but the whole next generation of the church? Like, are we going to do everything we can to make their task ready to go quicker, better, farther? Uh, therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. I think this is another part of it. Like he got everything ready, but then he put a charge to his son. This is your job. Go forward and do it. You know, just didn't leave it. Well, I got all this stuff piled up. Now, Solomon, you, you need to just like search your heart and see what, you, see what you think you want to do. What's your way in life, you know? No, he didn't do that at all, right? He was very purposeful in, you know, now he couldn't control what it, Solomon did after he was gone, but he did everything he could up to that point to point him in the right direction. You know, uh, and this is true with anyone we're discipling. I'm not just talking about parents and children this morning. 
Jesus set up his disciples to be the apostles who built the early church, right? Jesus didn't have physical children, but he had a lot of children. Actually, we're all his children, but, but he spent time with his disciples. And what did it say in Acts 4.13 when the, uh, the apostles were before the Sanhedrin? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So that's the effect on the next generation. All of us should be playing a part to pass on the faith to many people's lives. And uh, we heard a lot about it last week in, in the seminar on discipleship, and that was a great seminar, a lot of good things. Timothy was boosted in the faith by, both by his grandmother and his mother, but also uh, especially by the Apostle Paul, who, who took him in as a, as a son, so to speak. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. See a little generational thing going there. With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So here's another aspect of passing it on, praying for the next generations, right? Do we do that? How do we do that? Um, night and day, Paul says, he constantly remembers Timothy in his prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So another thing we see about this relationship between Paul and Timothy is the love that's there. There's genuine uh, heartfelt relationship between the two of them. And of course, that's, that's very important in relationship with the next generation. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And that's another thing. So... So he's, again, he's pointing Timothy, and this is what I want you to do with this. But he's also saying, and you know what I've done? I've passed on the Holy Spirit to you. I've, uh, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I've laid hands on you and anointed you so that you're filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And that's a very important thing we must not forget with our children, is, um, is what, what Paul made sure and the apostles made sure that the people they taught had, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So again, among the other means of influence, uh, prayer is another thing that we must not forget. And Paul said day and night, he constantly remembered Timothy in our prayers. Do we do that with our children? Do we do that with just the whole next generation? 
um, with the brothers and sisters, the younger people in our, in our church and the people who are going to go forward in the future after we're gone. So in furthering God's covenant through history and the building of his kingdom on earth, each generation plays its role. Either well or not so well or somewhere in between, right? Uh, there is responsibility on us. But ultimately, God proves himself faithful. And that's the good news to, to end with here. Is that ultimately, God proves himself faithful to all generations. And his covenant with us will not fail. So we can take confidence in that when we get discouraged. And right now is a time in our culture, the world around us, our nation, where it's tempted for us to get discouraged about the things that are going on. But what are we called to do? Tell what God has done. Give place to the testimony. Here in church is great. In your family, it's great. In society, tell what God has done. Tell your testimony. Tell people what he's done. Because they don't know, I guess. They haven't heard. They haven't believed yet, so I guess they haven't heard well enough. And then they, as they join in, they can experience in it. They will know for themselves. And, uh, you know, there are many reasons why we have failed to pass on the faith to the next generation as successfully as we want to. Sometimes we've been preoccupied by worldly things. Frankly, we've gotten too much like the world and not enough on God. Sometimes we've been hypocritical examples. We say one thing to our children or to people and we live differently. And that's hard to hide. And they pick up on that, unfortunately. That doesn't mean God is not faithful, but it, we're not a very good example to them. That's a failure. Sometimes we've built with poor quality materials, substituting other things for God's grace, his truth, and faith. And what am I talking about? Well, it could be all kinds of things, but let's take, for example, faith. Are we really going to trust in God, or are we going to trust in um, health insurance? <laughs> sorry or um, I'm not against doctors or anything like that but you, you understand what I'm saying or we substitute a worldly philosophy for biblical truth and oh we've got a problem we've really got to go to this professional I'm not against professionals again but I'm, what I'm saying is are we what kind of materials are we building with are we building on, with grace and truth and walking in faith or are we building differently? In those cases, the good news is the Lord offers forgiveness through repentance. He's always welcoming us back. It's never too late to take action. Jesus encourages us with these, word, these words as we navigate through life, and they apply well again. He said it in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Those things that distract us, the things that oftentimes we major on because they're our daily responsi responsibilities or the things we want to see, it's all around us. Uh, 
It's not what we seek first. We seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. He will provide the other things for us. So um, I just want to close with prayer this morning. Um, as we do that, God will help us. And uh, maybe there are some ways we need to repent and ask for his forgiveness. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are faithful to all generations. And in our hearts, we all want the future generations, especially the one following us and maybe the one following them that we're beginning to know, we want them to know you, Lord. We want them to walk in faith. We want the church to grow and we want spiritually the best for our families, for our congregation, for our state and our nation and all around the world, that the body of Christ may be all that you want them to be, that all men and women will be saved, and that righteousness and justice will, will uh, come forth in the earth. So Lord, we repent this morning of where we have have failed. Maybe we have not built with quality materials. We, maybe we have not um, built at all where we should have been building. And we ask that you forgive us and that you give us grace that even now, whatever age we may be, that we will make disciples in our own families, in our own congregation, in the church, and uh, from the world that we will make disciples and pass on the faith and pass on the good news of your awesome power and your love and your goodness and all the great things you have done that we will, our lips will be opened to pass that on to the next generation, that your kingdom will go forward because you love all and you desire that all men and women be saved and that all generations experience your goodness. Lord, we bless you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.